Welcome back, everyone, to the Mainland Podcast. This is episode 19. I'm Michael Citro from TheMainland.com, the managing editor, and uh, joining me this week, uh, our intrepid historian, Kevin Mercer. Kevin, how are you doing tonight, buddy? Doing pretty good. How are you? Uh, cannot complain. Cannot complain. We're uh, in the midst of uh, some W's, which is good. Yeah. Uh, Lions are getting some uh, some victories. And um, so I guess we're going to start off by talking a little bit about the Colorado Rapids, even though it seems like a long time with these fixtures all squished together. Um, Orlando City with a 2-0 victory over Colorado. Uh, let me get your overall impressions of the game. I think it was it was a very mature game for Orlando. Um Team Colorado is a good team, but they're not performing well this season. And um, we came out with a dominant performance and uh, did not let them into the game really at all. Um, and I thought it was a thought it was a pretty uh, accurate showing of kind of where we're at right now, to be honest. Yeah, Adrian Heath said uh, they could have had a lot more goals, and you got to agree that you know Orlando didn't take all of its chances. Uh, I think it was nil nil at the at the half, yeah. and. Um, I know Kaká had hit the post on one occasion. There were a number of really good uh, key passes into the box that uh, ended up, you know, wide or getting saved. Clint Irwin had a pretty heroic game in goal for Colorado, I thought. And um, you know, the Rapids are—they're not a good team, but they're a hard team to break down and score on. Yeah. And uh, for Orlando to get a couple uh, was huge. Um, Adrian said before the game he wanted to get a goal and get Colorado out of their, you know shape, make them change the way they play the game. Wasn't able to get that early goal, but they did get one in the second half and then tacked another one on later. Uh, it was a bit of a coming out party for one Colombian man named Carlos Rivas. He's having a good week, isn't he? <laughs> He's had a really strong uh, eight days or so, yeah. Um, so Rivas was very dominant against Colorado. They had absolutely no answer for his speed out on the left wing. Uh, he made... Maybe one of the best five all-time crosses I've ever seen of the ball uh, to set up Kyle Lahren for a goal. And uh, so Kyle Lahren keeps scoring, uh, keeping that, uh, you know, rookie of the year favoritism going. And, uh, you know, and the captain got a goal. Uh, also, based in part on a great play by Carlos Rivas, who laid off the Christian Higuita and then took off to the left and took two defenders with right. him, allowing Higita had like a, I don't know, like a 40-yard run with the ball. Yeah. And then uh, just the threat of Rivas on the left had everybody leaning that way, and Higita just slides it over to, you know, Kaká on the right. And From a pretty tough angle, it's hard to beat a good goalkeeper, and Kaká managed to make it look easy. Yeah, I actually he? want to talk about that goal because, you know, watching it um, – I actually was home for that game. I had some other things going on that evening. I actually stayed home and watched it on TV. And you could see on the TV angle that he actually – it was the first time I've seen Kaká look determined to say, basically, I'm going to score no matter what you do. And um, hmm. it was kind of cool to see that happen for him because I think, we've, I think we expect that from him. We expect a player who's, of his talent and his stature to really be able to come in and control a game. And I think this was one of the first times I've really seen him just basically decide that he, you know, the composure that, that a, a world-class player like he's going to have, it was fantastic. I thought it was a fantastic goal, and, and he really shouldn't have scored it, but did because I think because of his skill. So, The thing about uh, Kaká is we were just get, starting to talk about how he was a little bit in a, a run of poor form for him. Uh, the Montreal game was uh, maybe one of his worst games I've ever seen, uh, not just in Orlando 
city uniform, but in any uniform. Uh, really, really tough night for him. He came back against Colorado extremely determined, uh, running very, very hard all night long, challenging for every ball, taking guys on, and just willing his team to win, and and really looking the part of a captain. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. I think, again, I think you see, and we, we always have this kind of, I don't know if it's a running joke or but it's a, a fear, we fear these guys come over here and um, are here to retire, are here to kind of just collect a paycheck and run the field a bit. And I think you see with a player like Akka that he really is a consummate professional who's coming back, again, like you said, after a rough game, and um, and really coming back determined and um, really single-minded. And like I said, willing, willing his team to win in a lot of ways. I think a lot of players played well, but I think Kaká is the captain. I think they all looked to him. And, um, yeah, I thought it was a phenomenal game for us. Yeah, it's nice to see a player of that stature say, I'm not going to have a run of bad form. I'm going to have a bad game here and there, but I'm going to bounce back, and I'm going to make sure that the next game does that does not happen. Right. And uh, that's what he did against Colorado. And uh, honestly, it didn't really matter. seemed to matter what the Rapids did. Um, Orlando City had a, a very good game plan. They went after him and held the ball, uh, got a lot of possession, got a lot of good scoring chances, if not for Clint Irwin and, and the post and a couple of misses just barely wide. It could have been really a laugher. I mean, it was, it was not a close game. No, it wasn't. You know, I, I think, too, another aspect of the game that um, maybe you might go unnoticed a little bit was just how strong our defense was. Um, they, had, uh, they had 13 crosses into the, into the box, and none of them connected, um, which I think is a, a fantastic statistic. And, um, mm-hmm. and their passing in the final third was also really poor, uh, due, basically due to us. Again, I think that, um, you know, you see that back line of, Again, we were fearful of that coming into the season. That might be our weak spot. But I think, again, you show with Tally Hall organizing them how strong they can really be. Yeah, it was. I thought it was a particularly good game for uh, Seb Hines. Um, St. Ledger had a good game as well, although he had one really horrific turnover that, that led to a breakaway. <laughs> we always have one bad uh, turnover, I think, per <laughs> game back there. Just to scare us all. Yeah. Uh, Darwin Saren had a little bit of a struggle, I thought, in that particular game. He had, by my count, he had five turnovers, and two of them led to very good scoring chances. Um, but he he did play better in the second half, and he and he you know he continued his good breakup play. He just, yeah. He just had a few gaffes that that were uncharacteristic of him, uh, and he would, as we all saw, bounce back. Right. Um, really strong game for Igita. Very strong game for Rivas. Um, both picked up their first MLS assist in that match. And uh, I think we can just basically put a bow on it. Colorado came in, and um, Orlando City just took it to them. I, I think you're completely right. I, I don't think they ever had a chance in that game. So we'll turn our attention back to the U.S. Open Cup, and uh, we we welcomed a familiar foe to the Citrus Bowl uh, this week, uh, Tuesday night, uh, the Columbus Crew, which was of the three teams that were in the pot, that was the toughest that really draw was, we could have got. Um, what made it a little bit easier was that Columbus played Saturday night in Salt Lake City, and uh, they came out and decided they were going to try to uh, make do with the more of a reserve lineup, and Orlando City had the weekend off and decided to come out and go for the win, and played you know pretty much a a starting group other than the guys that are missing you know, for for injuries or for international uh, duty, except for Lewis Neal who was also not dressed. Um, but I mean, 
They had some reserves dressed like Tommy Redding and Tyler Turner, but pretty much they went with the a mostly A lineup. Yeah. And um, Columbus, I thought the first half and the second half, the first 10 minutes, 10 to 12 minutes of both halves were easily the better team, but they were not able to capitalize on that early um, you know, momentum and that, those early chances they got in both halves. And other than those, you know, maybe 24 minutes of the game, I thought Orlando City really, again, handled them. Yeah, I think that's a pretty accurate um, description of the game. I thought, you know, I think the first 10 minutes, uh, you know, it was it was nerve wracking, to be honest. I thought, gosh, here we go again. Uh, we got a number of, uh, um, you know, kind of strange calls for, for them um, in terms of uh, yellow cards and you know, things that maybe I've seen now. And, and re- I rewatched the game this morning and, and did realize that a couple of them were yellow cards, but still kind of some you know, questionable plays and, and some kind of good Columbus luck early on um, to kind of drive them into some good free kick positions. Um, so it was a little bit nervous at first. But then as time went on, I think that, um, again, you saw kind of the same attitude you saw against Colorado, uh, just as a very professional team come out and really take care of business. Uh, Aaron Schoenfeld hit the, I believe it was the crossbar uh, early in the game with a header that could have really changed the, the complexion of the game. As they say, goals change games. Yeah. Um, it's a favorite saying of Adrian Heath, but uh, it did not go in, and Orlando City was able to get a foothold in the game and a goal from Kaká once again, mm-hmm. um, his first U.S. Open Cup goal, and uh, then we just got an absolute screamer of a goal from Carlos Rivas, his uh, first goal from open play, and he's now got four U.S. Open, co- open Cup goals, and he's uh, tied for the lead in this year's I, I knew he had uh, to get there hot, pretty high up there, yeah. Yeah, so it, I mean, he's in the running for the golden boot, and this is a guy who's had trouble cracking the lineup, but he's really coming on of late. He's starting to, I, I think you're seeing a guy who finally has gotten con- several consecutive weeks of training with the team in. Uh, he's feeling better about himself. He's settling in finally to MLS and and life with the with Orlando City, living outside of his native Columbia, and he's starting to adapt. And the team is really embracing him. It's nice to see their reaction to him when he does something well because they know how hard he's been trying. Yeah, definitely. And I think, too, you know, it's really funny with um, all the transfer rumors floating around and people kind of saying, well, maybe we can cut uh, Rochez or Rivas from our DP lineup and, and you know, give him a, a demotion or something. And then all of a sudden, the last couple of days, I've seen people kind of just go, you know, maybe Rivas is worth it. You know, maybe he's worth this money we're paying for him. And I think that's good to see that, you know, there were some people, and I, you know, I don't think it was wise to question the way they were, but you know, people were questioning how how valuable these players were, and you started to realize they're pretty valuable players, and they're going to be big for us as time goes on, and like like as you say, as they get more time on the, on the practice field, and are able to, to acclimate both the team, uh, the region, you know, living in Florida, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of different things here going on that are are different than Columbia. So um, yeah, I think that they, I think he's going to be a very valuable player for us moving forward. Let's call it what it is. I mean, a lot of our readers and, and listeners and a lot of our fans hated the guy. Yeah. They hated Rivas. Yeah. They just they didn't want to see him because he'd go out on the field. He might go down too easy once or twice. He might – he'd take a shot from 40 yards away and sky it into the I gave, you know, him, I gave him a hard row. time for not passing for a long time. <laughs> um, and he was just trying to do too much yeah. is basically what was going on and and, and trying to, to earn his way instantly – uh, you know, into the you know, you know, into the upper echelons of the team, and and that's not going to happen. You have to take some time. Um, as Adrian Heath said something interesting. He said he didn't care really if it took 
a year for him to get going. He signed a five-year deal, and it was like they were just going to give him his opportunity, however long it took, right. because they saw the talent. You know, uh, Adrian Heath, Paul McDonough, the GM, they saw the talent. They went to you know they went to see Deportivo Cali uh, multiple times. Uh, they did a very thorough scout job. There were very big clubs around the world interested in his services. And um, Orlando City managed to, to land him, you know, ahead of all these others. So as young as he is and, and as, as raw as his talent is, you know, they were going to be patient and bring him along however long it took. And I, I think I already see our commenters changing Changer, their, yeah. you know, how they feel about him because – I mean, let's face it. We live in a very much uh, 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 what have you done for me lately society. Right. And, you know, I've seen people turn on different players this year and, and, and turn their opinion in from you know one game to the next. And, you know, soccer is a game where you can have a bad day and not be a bad player. Right. Or, or you can have a very good day and not be a good, particularly good player. Well, and um, you know, I think, too, MLS parity also, we talk about this a lot, but I think that, you know, in a league that's so competitive – a bad game can turn really bad really fast. Um, yeah. You know, if you're if you're playing for Manchester United and you've got a bad you know you've got, you've got a bad outing versus uh, Leicester City, I don't think anyone really notices that much. Um, but you know, in a league that where you know even Colorado is a you know pretty decent team comparatively, um, or or Columbus in this case, um, yeah, I think you can have a bad game and and people will notice it real easily. Um, it becomes very very apparent. And like we said with Kaká against Montreal again. You know, a player that is normally very, very good, but has a rough night, and it looks a little bit worse because the other team's pretty good as well. It happens to everybody. I mean, you and I are both Manchester United fans, yeah. right? So, uh, how many times have you seen Wayne Rooney have a really horrible game, or or Robin Van Persie? It happens often, very, very often. Yeah, I mean, way too often, obviously, the last couple of years. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, even the the elite players can have an off game and it might be it might be a little nagging injury that we don't know about it might be that uh you know there's things going on in their life that, that sort of are affecting them mentally just kind of on the subconscious level it could be that they're trying to do too much there's a number of reasons it could happen um it could be the way that the defense is playing them and they get frustrated i mean there's there are so many reasons why a player can have a bad game but you know the good players you know the, the cream of the crop they rise and they have more good games than bad games. Well, um, I think the problem up. with the problem with these guys that we're talking about, and and also guys like Carlos Rivas and Kaká, is they're counted on for offense. Yeah. So it's very noticeable when they don't produce. Uh, whereas maybe it's not as noticeable if a center back doesn't produce because maybe you give up a goal, but hey, most teams give up about a goal a game anyway. Right. Yeah, I think so, that I, you know, and I have a lot of uh, sympathy because you know I've played my entire life, but I've certainly had plenty of bad games and uh, missed plenty of goals I should have shot and should have scored, and I, so I have a lot of sympathy for players as well because I can relate to it. I, I you know I had a bad game Sunday, <laughs> so like you know it's hard for me to give Rebus a hard time sometimes because I you know I had a game I had a rough game too, so yeah. So before we get to man of the match, I want to just uh, talk a little bit more about the U.S. Open Cup, and it looked to me like. Um, Certainly, you have to look at the big picture, but obviously Columbus didn't come in either thinking that they needed to play their A lineup or maybe didn't take the, the competition as seriously as they might have. It looked to me like Adrian Heath 
well, in some respects, he didn't have much of a choice on who he played because of injuries and international duty, but it looks like Orlando is taking the rest of this competition very seriously after a, let's call it a struggle at Charleston. Yeah, well, I think, and, and he said he basically put the line, he puts the lineup on there that he thinks can win um, that week, and I think that, you know, Charleston, he may have underestimated Charleston a little bit. Um, I think Columbus has a lot, Columbus is in a rough position because they're really competing for that playoff spot. Um, they're they're right below us, if I recall correctly, and um, and not sol- not solidly below us. They're they're kind of fading a little bit, and um, they've had a couple of, of uh, ties recently as well, I think. So I think you've got a team there who's really kind of maybe focusing on the league a little bit, and um, whereas I think Orlando, I think this is a good opportunity for us to win this year, um, to bring you know. I think we all feel good about the season, but I'm not sure we all feel good about the fact that we're going to bring home the Embolus Cup. <laughs> I don't think that we, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure I feel that right. good about it. Um, but I do feel like the U.S. Open Cup's available. I think it's you know it's an available to all of us, um, all the teams, and um, certainly our path goes through Chicago now. It's not a bad place to go for us right now. We played pretty well there before, and um, yeah, so I think that you know, and it's a one-off game. Yeah, it's you know, it's someone's got to walk away a winner. So I think it's a great opportunity for the team, um, for for a fan base that's used to trophies, um, and for a fan base that wants trophies. I think the new fans are, are eager to be, uh, you know, they've seen these players and have gotten behind them. I think that this is a, a town that would love to see a trophy come home. Um, it would be, it be, I would, actually would be Orlando's first major trophy, to be honest. Um, and and beyond sport. the trophy, you get to you get to go play in Champions League. Yeah, and he's played, yeah, which I think I think is a lot of fun too. Again, another another competition that Americans don't seem to under totally get behind, but I I find it fascinating. I mean, um, you know, I, the Open Cup I find fascinating as well. I was surprised uh, we had a low turnout last night because I thought it was a fantastic game, a fantastic evening, um, great night for soccer. And uh, and a great I mean great competition as well so yeah so you know I'm, I'm hoping the, the the city fans get behind the competition as well because I think it's gonna be a good one for us in the end. Yeah, it was thirteen thousand and change last night. Uh, not a great crowd by Orlando City standards. Se- surprisingly, the second highest attended uh, game in U.S. Open Cup this yeah that, this that, that made me feel a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, even even when our small crowds are are still among the the best. Yeah. Nice. Um, and the previous week when Col- we played Colorado, it was again it was a fairly small crowd for Orlando. It was between twenty and twenty five thousand. I think it was around twenty three thousand something. And it was the second largest midweek game of the year in MLS. So um, you know, congratulations, Orlando. You're doing a good job. Yeah. Um, so why don't we get your your man of the match for both Colorado and Columbus? So yeah, so go back to Colorado. I think Colorado. I'd give it to Kaká. I think he had the, the kind of game he needed to have to help us win that game. Um, there were certainly other players in the running, but I think Kaká wins at that for that one. Um, last night, I've got to give it to Rivas. I th- again, I thought a lot of great play- a lot of great performances last night. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I got to give it to Rivas. I think he had a fantastic game, and I think he deserves it. I think he really all the maybe the, the critiques he's gotten from everyone. I, I was really happy that the, he was actually the official man of the match as well for the club and I was happy to see his face up there. I thought he was, I thought he earned that. So how about you? I'm, I'm going to go with Rivas for Colorado. I, I thought he was just a tour de force, uh, against the Rapids. Uh, I know Kaká had more shots and, and more, um, uh, shots on goal, but, and he was the one that got the goal. Rivas got the assist, but 
I thought Rivas, when he came on for Breck Shea, because Breck Shea got injured in that right. game, I, I thought at that point it was a fairly pedestrian game. And then when Rivas came on, the entire energy of the of the game shifted. And that's when Orlando started to really get forward, get chances, and and I don't, I, I just feel so bad for the poor right back that Colorado threw out there and and right wing because they they could not handle his speed and pace and and when he would change pace, he would just flick the ball ahead, take two steps, and he was three yards behind the defender right. like every time. Uh, it was it was really amazing to watch that cross was just man, you couldn't even you couldn't even like put that cross in a Hollywood movie because no, it was that good. It was a good cross. It was really good. <laughs> it just curved right around the defense, right. It was like a magnet onto the foot of Kyle Aaron. It was just beautiful. So I, I thought Rebus very good finish. Yeah. Yes. But he, he didn't have a whole lot to do once he got to the ball. Yep. It was like, just miss the keeper. Yeah. And it's in. <laughs> now we've seen him miss those before. So, um, Rookies, you know. Uh, in the Columbus game, I will say that I thought um, maybe I would give that to Sean St. Ledger okay. uh, for Columbus. That was uh, a really good save he had. We didn't talk about that, did we? No, we didn't. Yeah, oh. <laughs> that's right. So, Kristen, Kristen Steindorsen floats a, a, a ball from the left side. That's It's just a chip, basically. It goes over Tally Hall. It's headed for the right corner of the goal. And St. Ledger comes out of nowhere running full speed toward his own net to head it right off the line, and then goes crashing into his own net. It was it was beautiful. Uh, Tally Hall raved about it after the game, um, as he should, and it was uh, it was a special play. But I thought other than that, considering the fact that Columbus loaded up on, with really tall players, yeah, uh, I thought he and Seb Hines were very, very good in terms of of keeping them from using that height advantage to, to score goals because they had a lot of set pieces early. They did. And they had, they had 19 shots on goal in that game too. Um, you know, I think that we, you know, we, we kind of say that they, they had a weakened lineup, but it also shows their depth. They've got a very deep team. They, they did, they played pretty well. Um, and I thought, I think you're right about the, the fence and, and St. Ledger really holding them back a lot. So mm. Adrian Heath raves about Greg Burhalter, and, and I, I agree with him. I think Greg Burhalter is one of the better minds in the game in, in, in this league. I think that Columbus is very well coached. I think they have a lot of good players, and like you said, they, they do have depth. Uh, when you can you can sit guys like uh, you know Ethan Finley and, and Justin Miram, but play a Kristen Steindorsen um, and guys like uh, Schoenfeld and Bedell, I think it, it just shows you. I mean, we, Orlando City doesn't have that kind of depth. We really don't. Bench. No, we really don't. Um, yeah, and I hope my um, all my critics in Columbus heard that I just gave them a compliment. I, you know, I hope that we can broadcast that somehow. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they just they're going to take it out on all of us because of what Andrew said, and yeah. that's just going to be the way it is forever and ever and ever. That's going to be the one piece of of clickbait that sticks in their mind. <laughs> um, so seven unbeaten at home in a row, uh, Orlando City is making the Citrus Bowl into a fortress, aren't they? They really, they really are. And, and that's, I, I mean, with the, with the amount of uh, people we, put, we pack into that place weekly, it should be. It really, really should be. Um, you know, I know that when I'm in there, it's, I mean, I can't. I'm not going to talk on the phone or uh, really even be able to talk to my friends too far away. It's a, it's a loud place to play, um, and it's a hot place to play. Um, I think if you're not from Florida and uh, you haven't been practicing here week in and week out um, – it's, it's easy to maybe, you know, in the evening it kind of cools down in the stadium. It feels a little bit better. 
but on that field, it's extremely hot. And, um, and I think a, a team like from Columbus or Colorado is really, really going to suffer out there. I mean, even the LA Galaxy, I always point back to this idea that LA Galaxy, um, they were complaining about the heat and they're from LA and they're from the desert. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think the, the, the fans and the heat, I think are a great combination for us to really, really get a great, get a great home field advantage. So. Yeah, it took a little while to get that first home win um, as the team was still learning to gel and come together. It, it, but now it seems like a combination of things. The team is playing more as a team now, and we're now hitting the the hotter part of the, the summer. Yeah. So it's it's absolutely miserable for people who are not used to that. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you're not <laughs> used to running around in that, it's terrible. Uh, it was I think it was Eric Avila told me that uh, – you know, one of the one of the Galaxy players. Said, How do you play in this? Yeah, <laughs> and, and and day in and day out. And I so I think it's 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 certainly a chance for Orlando City to have a good home field advantage in games if they can stay close, hang around, and grind it out yeah. to the second half when the other team starts to wilt. Um, and, and that we've seen that we've seen uh, you know two goals against Colorado in the second half uh, the other night. Um, last week they did get two in the first half against Columbus and sort of they still got some good chances in the second half they just didn't add to their lead um but yeah it's nice to see that you know teams are not going to just walk into the Citrus Bowl and expect three points it's going to be a battle yeah I think that when you look at the schedule coming up too I think that every game we have come up is winnable um you know even against good clubs um you just, I think, with the home field advantage, I think we've got a definite home field advantage. I think with supporters groups as well. I think that you know you've noticed, and I think I've noticed even in the USL games that that we always want to play with, we want to play against uh, away from the supporters groups the first game and put you know our goalie in front of the supporters groups and put their goalie in front of the supporters groups in the, in the, the second half. That's what we mm-hmm. want to do. That's our our ideal way of playing. And I think it really, really does work because, I, I mean, just that, that wall of noise coming off of those guys. I sit near them. I sit kind of in the ability to, to kind of watch them. The wall of mm-hmm. noise and just constant, constant, you know, uh, flags and chants and, and just almost complete chaos, to really be honest, um, I think really has to grind on you. Even if you're a professional, I think you really eventually feel it. So. And it, and it buoys the home team. Yeah, you know, it, it really does. It, it lifts their spirits when they hear them, and, and and they can hear them because I mean, usually I'm up in the press box and it's got a very very thick uh, plate of glass in front of it, designed to knock out noise, and still you can hear the still roar. Hear it, yeah, yeah, it, you can. The wall does a phenomenal job, and it's 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 nice to have them on our side. You have to imagine too, you know, taking a corner kick. You know, we're, we're down a goal or, or we're looking for a goal. Uh, taking a corner kick on that end. Um, with all those fans behind you, and I think it really, I think it's really is going to you know lift your spirits a little bit, and you're gonna, you're really going to hear it. So yeah, I think you're exactly right. So why don't we now bring in our guest? We're going to talk uh, about our upcoming match Saturday nights, the fourth of July, 10 p.m. Eastern start time, which is not ideal for us. Everybody's going to be out at the fireworks. Well, they go watch fireworks uh, and get home early. <laughs> yeah, against Real Salt Lake uh, on the 4th of July, and they're going to have uh, fireworks at Rio Tinto after the match there, so they're expecting a big crowd. Uh, we're going to bring in our guest now to talk about that, and keep in mind that uh, there might be some things that sound a little weird because we recorded the, our interview uh, before the Tuesday night match against Columbus, so uh, let's go to our guest right now.
All right, joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast is Matt Montgomery. He's the managing editor of RSL Soapbox, one of our uh, fine sister SB Nation blogs. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. So I wanted to kind of pick your brain uh, about Rail Salt Lake. We're going out there for a 4th of July extravaganza, um, which starts at 10 o'clock p.m. our time, which is going to be fun to cover that one. <laughs> That's the value of actually traveling to the match. Then you don't have to, you know, you stay up till 10 o'clock, but it's you know, time zones or something. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I wanted to to just um, I wanted to just ask you about a little bit of a basic overview of your team for for those of our listeners who are not familiar with uh, Rail Salt Lake. You know, your basic formation and your basic uh, sort of tactics that uh, you know that you guys like to in- employ. Uh, so on a very basic level, uh, it's actually been kind of a weird season in that regard. Uh, historically, Rail Salt Lake since maybe two thousand eight, mid two thousand eight. Uh, employed the 442 diamond, and everybody talked about it nonstop uh, until Caleb Porter came around and kind of rescued us from that monotony uh, with his Porter ball or whatever it's become now. Uh, But 2015 has been a little different, and we saw signs of it in late 2014 uh, in that now we're playing, uh, well, one, we're switching formations, uh, which was like a a once-a-year, twice-a-year special occasion type thing, in the past, uh, now it's a little more, you know, it's it's normal and it's kind of weird. Uh, but we play either like a 4-1-2-3 or 4-1-3-2 or occasionally like a 4-5-1 or... But anything you could encompass under like a 4-3-3 at its most basic core, uh, I think, is what Real Salt Lake's playing now. And at this point, it's kind of, uh, if it gets us points, then I think anybody would be happy right now. Excellent. Um, I was just wondering, just looking at the matchup on uh, on July fourth, in terms of defense, uh, midfielders and strikers, who, where do you think the strength of the um, club's going to come from? I mean, the strength is definitely uh, kind of unactuated right now. I think actually, what you see are like our defense could be very strong, um, but it's been you know in and out of injury. We have uh, Chris Schuler and Hamasin Olave who have both had you know, fairly significant layoffs in the last few weeks. Uh, and so we're forced to play these young players who could be very good, but it's just it's not quite there yet. Uh, the midfield, it's, it's another one of those uh, circumstances where we've got uh, Kyle Beckerman, who is obviously you know, solid. He's good. Uh, and that's not really going to change, uh, hopefully. And I'm, I'm sort of praying that that's the case, that he is good for maybe a good 10 years. Uh, We'll see about that one. Um, but we have players like Luke Mahal and Louis Skill, who uh, consistency is not their strength. And there's Javier Morales, who is fantastic. Uh, I think you've seen this um, week in, week out when he's actually playing. Uh, the problem has just been, like, he's just missed some matches here and there. Uh, one, because of concussion, and that's something that can happen to you regardless of age. Uh, and two, because he got kind of a silly red card, uh, and I could debate the call if I wanted to, but uh, but his call against New York, just you know that that red card, uh, it's the sort of thing that kind of describes our season. And you see that with the forwards too, uh, who we have uh, Joao Plata, who has been uh, well, he's been injured most of the season, um, but was really good last year. Uh, we have Alvaro Sabrio, who we've got some some internal problems with right now. Uh, Devin Sandoval, who's a young, exciting, like 
solid player potentially, uh, but but isn't there yet at this point in his career. Uh, Sebastian Jaime, who's still adapting to MLS, Olmos Garcia, who who's got lots of potential, just isn't showing it all yet. And I think like maybe uh, I'll, I'll veer away from from those and just say our most solid position right now is goalkeeper. It's actually now. I'm sorry, Mike. I wanted to bring this up on that really fast about the goalkeeper. We've been frustrated by a lot of really good goalkeepers. Do you think that uh, that uh, Nick Romano is going to frustrate frustrate us on on the fourth? I am absolutely certain he won't because he's already going to be with the national team. Oh, okay. Uh, we do have Jeff Atanella. Uh He's a Florida kid. Uh, you know, somewhere in Florida. I think Tampa Bay, maybe not. You know, one of those areas. I don't actually know Florida super well, so you can <laughs> uh, you can yell at me when we're off air if you like, or on air. That's fine too. Uh, but Jeff Atanella is a very solid second goalkeeper, uh, and he's um, he's held that spot now for uh, three years and done quite well with it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Actually, I was. Uh, before I was rudely interrupted by Kevin Mercer, uh, I was actually going to ask about um, uh, Kyle Beckerman, and you brought him up, and I was going to ask, you know, what kind of losses uh, is Real Salt Lake expecting for this game in terms of uh, people out for the Gold Cup? We're, we know we're going to be missing Kyle Laren, who has already departed uh, for the Canadian team, and uh, Darwin Saren is going to be leaving for the El Salvador team. Um Breck Shea did not get picked by the U.S. men's national team because he's hurt. So we don't get him, and he's not going. So I uh, was just kind of wondering what kind of boat you guys are in. So it's it's kind of a weird one right now. Uh, Kyle Beckman obviously is the loss. Uh, Nick Romano obviously is the loss. Uh, both of those players are, are kind of central to how we play. Uh, obviously, you can watch Nick Romano's shot stopping, and, and it's good on any given day. Uh, his stopping from distance along the ground is not always the best, but but everything else he he excels. Uh, and so we'll miss him, uh, and, and there's not really getting around that. With Kyle Beckerman, it's a little different uh, because we have no like crew replacement for him in the system. And it, it's hard when the player is that central to how you play, I think, um, just because you know Kyle Beckerman is – there's just not a lot of players like him in this league. Uh, and I think we see that on the national level, too. Uh, he serves a role that nobody fulfills really particularly well at that level. Um, and so so we'll play a player like maybe John Sturzer, who who is kind of learning that role, but he's a third-year MLS player. He spent his first two years uh, basically out with injury, uh, various injuries. And and uh, I, I don't know. I don't, it's It's at a point right now where on a game-by-game basis – I might feel okay about it, uh, but when I look at the whole Gold Cup, it just it, it eats at me a little bit, and I can't give you a straight answer because I I just don't honestly know. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so, um, what uh, do you guys have a plan for Kaká? Uh, I would normally say Kyle Beckerman. Um, <laughs> That'd be a good answer. Yeah, that would be a great answer. Uh, I you know. Um, We've historically been a team that doesn't like to focus on one key player, sometimes to our detriment and sometimes not. Um, playing against New York Red Bulls, you know, when, when Thierry Henry was there, uh, it was never like a, we have to, you know, put three bodies on, on Henry. And I mean, clearly they're different types of players, but it's that, that high profile, high class designated player uh, situation that, it, that I think I've, you know, they're, they're kind of comparable. Um, I think the key would just be 
uh, block the passing lanes, kind of kind of clog things up. But but you know, he's he's a good player. It's not going to work that way, right? Yeah, we really hope that you don't concentrate on trying to stop him. That's uh, that's that would be really helpful for us, I think. <laughs> I mean, is that something that's that's worked out for you in the past, where teams uh, concentrate on Kaká and kind of shut you down? Uh, I think the teams there are teams that have tried to always put two to three guys on him whenever he's around the top of the box, and at times it has frustrated him, and at times uh, he has made the other team pay dearly for that uh, with a quick pass or quick movement. Um, it it, it kind of just depends. I mean, he's. He's really still learning the league and just now starting to figure out like sort of how he fits into it. So, which is you know, it's kind of great for us if, when we think about it because he's already you know third in the league in goals and and has been playing very very well at a high level for for MLS. But uh, you know, Adrian Heath, our head coach, seems to think there's much more for him to give and that we'll see the best of him in the second half of the season after he's sort of gotten it all figured out. And he really did have a good game last week, but it's kind of hard to judge against Colorado Rapids. That's, that's um, fair. Uh, I can <laughs> I can sympathize with that. So, and I, you know, I look at the Western Conference standings and I see Real Salt Lake in an, uh, sort of an unfamiliar eighth place uh, right now. I know the, the weekend there was a big uh, draw against uh, Columbus Crew, which were... You know, we we're kind of hoping you could maybe take all three points uh, from them at that point. Um, that would have been nice. <laughs> uh, and also maybe get a couple of their key players to take red cards would have been nice. But, uh, <laughs> uh, well, this is a U.S. Open Cup uh, week anyway for us against them. So it uh, probably wouldn't have mattered unless, you know, like Iguain had ripped up the officials' uh, book or something. Uh, sure. I'm sorry um, there weren't any uh, instances <laughs> of that. So what is... Um, like sort of what is the team's character this year? Because we're not used to seeing a, a Real Salt Lake at, at five, six, and seven uh, at this point in the season, and um, you know really trying to to catch up in the race with other teams in the West. You know, I think that's something we're still trying to figure out as fan bases uh, or as a fan base here, um, and I think it's something the coaching staff is still trying to figure out too. Uh, it's always going to be hard when you lose some key players at the beginning of the season. We had Joe, Joe Plata out at the very beginning. Uh, we had Javier, Javier Morales out for six, seven weeks. Uh, actually, it wasn't that long, but it was some amount of time, and it felt like an eternity, so six or seven weeks works for me. Um, we've had Chris Schuler out for now an extended period, and and there's there's a part of me that wants to say, like, you know, our character is, is there. Uh, the results aren't because mitigating factor A, B, and C. Uh, but it's it's tough. Uh, the coaching staff has openly talked about the the confidence of these players sometimes being a little low. And that's not something we've ever really seen with Real Salt Lake since probably the 2008 season when they snuck into the playoffs. And I think maybe they were just on like a six or seven year year high from that because it you know their confidence was was not fragile, and maybe that's the result of having someone like like Jason Christ in your team, uh, in your team, coaching your team in and around that environment. Um, but but it seemed uh, fragile, I guess. Um, but at the same time, the last few matches, it's it's looked better and it's picked up, and and it, it almost looks like a like a new dawn for that. Um, but it, I don't know. Uh, it's, that's the hardest part for me. I just, 
I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's perplexing basically the whole Salt Lake Valley right now. Uh, we can look at, at this team that's very talented on paper, uh, that has some, some very promising players, has some solid veterans, uh, and maybe, maybe it's missing a few pieces. Uh, but I think you'll see most teams in MLS miss you know, one or two key pieces. And it's, I, I guess that's parody at work, but I don't know. Well, you mentioned the, uh, <clears throat> you've got some good young, young up-and-coming players. What are some players that Orlando fans can look at that maybe that you guys know there that maybe we haven't heard of as much about? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on, on what we see in the lineup. Uh, young players, you've probably seen Olmos Garcia for the goal on the set piece on uh on sat- yeah. saturday <laughs> yeah so that that goal yeah <laughs> um but he's a young player who has a you know great bursts of speed but also struggles in front of goal and isn't isn't always the most confident and will go down at the touch of a feather and i think we're all comfortable admitting that here so uh i suspect you'll hate him pretty quickly and <laughs> Uh, and and I think it's it's kind of fun having a pantomime villain, so uh, I hope you enjoy that. Uh, in the defense, uh, it depends. One, we we may have uh, Elias Vasquez back, uh, and he's a, a strong uh, Guatemalan defender. He's like 22, uh, has had a, a significant number of caps for the Guatemalan national team. Uh, it's hard to say whether he'll play in that match or if he'll be uh, off for Gold Cup duty. I think that one's actually still up in the air. Uh, you might see someone like Justin Glad, who's an 18-year-old defender that looks really, you know, solid, uh, and he's kind of twiggy in his size, but but he's also, you know, very smart and reads the game well. Uh, you obviously know Louis' skill, uh, and maybe in a different way than we do here, because I think we see here a player that that hasn't lived up to his potential, and and maybe elsewhere you see a player with, you know, still a lot of potential. Um, and of, of course, you'll see the Platas, the uh, the Luke Mahollands, who are still pretty young players, uh, but but they're they're fairly well known within the league. Definitely. Yeah, I want to talk about Luke Mulholland because um, I base this on absolutely nothing. But when I see Luke Mulholland, I think he is the MLS player who looks most like he should be a character in Game of Thrones. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Ray also like on Twitter actually loves to float around a. Uh, a nice Photoshop version of Kyle Beckerman on like a throne and, and, and that kind of works for me. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest here. I actually have not watched much game of Thrones and I know I should be lambasted for it, but I just, I just haven't. Like I, I base it on nothing other than I think, man, if he was in one of those period costumes, he would look the part. That's all I'm saying. We'll, we'll see if we can get him in one. <laughs> That'd be great. No, um, you you mentioned the free kick goal the other night against Columbus, which was freaking amazing. Um, it, it was, I believe, I believe it was a three touch deal after the original free kick to get the goal. Uh, if you just, if people that are listening don't know it, just Google training ground free kick rail Salt Lake and it'll <laughs> pop up. It was really amazing. I mean, is that? Is it normal for that kind of free kick to come out for Real Salt Lake? Are they are they a creative, inventive sort of attacking force, or was that a, like a real kind of came out of nowhere kind of thing? I think the answer is both. Like, there's a reason that that goal is making the rounds, and it's it's because that's that's really remarkable. Um, like like the just the intricate nature of it is 
it, you just don't expect to see that, I guess. Uh, and it worked mm-hmm. out perfectly. Uh, but it, it's not like totally foreign to this team either. Seeing that goal in person, it it, it didn't shock me. Uh, I was surprised that it worked out so well. Uh, but to see us try something like that, I don't think is that unusual. And what's interesting about that goal for me is that it came with Javier Morales out of the side. And in that range, you'd see Javier Morales shoot and you know potentially score that goal. Uh, in a pretty straightforward fashion with with just a, a great free kick, uh, but when he's not there to to orchestrate that sort of you know magnificence, uh, like it, it's still a, a very creative side, and and we see things like that regularly. Uh, obviously, they don't always work out. Um, I think everything has to go right for a goal like that, and when it does, it does, and it's. I don't know. Uh, it's particularly interesting for me uh, because under Jason Kreis, we also like famously didn't really practice set pieces, defending, attacking. It didn't really matter. Uh, the focus was always somewhere else in training. Um, when Jeff Kassar took over, and you know, we could debate to the to the end of days whether that was a you know a good decision by our ownership or not. Uh, but the biggest thing I've seen, uh, aside from signing some great young players, oh, uh, Jordan Allen is a great one, who you won't get to see, by the way, uh, because he did pick up a red card, quite distressingly. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really creative team. Uh, and I guess that's, I don't know. Um, and to see them actually practice set pieces and apply their creativity to that uh, is... I don't know. It's really cool to see, and and I know the season isn't going particularly well in some ways, uh, but if we just have a few more goals like that, maybe it's just it's not totally a wash. So uh, definitely, that's yeah. Um, so set a tone for July Fourth. You know, you, the kind of we don't really know this. You know, we we've seen the, you know you guys play on TV, obviously, but um, for our fans, you know, what's the stadium going to feel like on July Fourth with Kaká in town, and uh, you know, a big important game for both teams. Uh, well, it's, it's interesting because on, you know, these July 4th matches, you do get a lot of, uh, fans who wouldn't normally be there otherwise, uh, because we, we put on a fireworks show and, and that's a big draw when you can get your whole family there. Um, but at the same time, uh, you'll, it'll be hot. It'll, it won't be humid. Uh, so I, I hope you like dry heat, uh, because that's probably what you're going to get a hundred degrees of on, on Saturday. Um, and you'll have a whole stadium of people who, uh, maybe not a whole stadium, a stadium of like 70% of the crowd who just wants to hate Kaká. And and it's that like that desire to hate that famous player uh, that'll make it kind of fun, I think. Uh, you'll probably hear Kaká's touches booed from the beginning, uh, not because he's done anything wrong, just because he's there. Uh it's it's fun. It's fascinating to like watch and participate in and and try to understand. Uh, but I think it's just like there's this anti-authoritarian streak in in parts of Utah um, that that just really manifests themselves really well uh, in these game time situations. Well, I know it's it's other fan bases have tried, but it's really hard to hate Kaká. It really is. Um, <laughs> I think it was. I think it was San Jose that wrote a, a, a column about that, about how it's, I've tried to hate him, but I can't. And, um, it, you know, it's he's not a diver, um, so that kind of helps. Um, but uh, I guess we'll we'll see what happens on, on Saturday night. Uh, 
July 4th. Looking forward to it. Not looking forward to losing sleep, but um, I will stay up for the game covering that thing. And um, uh, before we let you get out of here, Matt, we got to get your your uh, prediction, your final score prediction for Saturday night. So historically, I've always predicted 3-0 uh, to Real Salt Lake. Never for any good reason. Um, I'm going to do the <laughs> same. Uh, and I still don't have a great reason, but it just feels like like we're just do a win. Uh, that's not nervy. That's not like awful that, you know, it seems like we actually deserve. And we're sitting here with five wins from, from now 18 games. And it's, it's frustrating. And having like that, that substantial victory over a team that's, you know, not doing so badly, especially for an expansion team. Uh, it would just be, it might be the shot in the arm we need, uh, whether that's as a team or whether that's as as a fan base uh, remains to be seen. But it just, I just want a little fun. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, the road record for uh, for Orlando City is not bad overall. It hasn't been as good of, uh, in recent weeks. Um, but uh, the team does have a very good record against the Western Conference, surprisingly enough. Uh, only Vancouver has has bested Orlando City from the West so far. Well, I hope we and can uh, change that record just ever since. <laughs> they got a goal in the sixth minute of four minutes of stoppage time to do it. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so we got MLS a little bit, but that's the way it goes. Yeah. Uh, Matt Montgomery, managing editor of RSL Soapbox. Thanks so much for for being with us, telling us a little bit about your club, and we look forward to uh, to seeing you through the years. Now that we're we're joined the club in MLS. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, well, it's just about time to call it a podcast. We want to thank our guest this week again, Matt Montgomery, managing editor of RSL Soapbox. Uh, was, I thought he did a good job of uh, explaining his team to us. Yeah, he's uh, actually he's, he's good. He's a talker. He uh, has a lot. He had a lot to say, and, and he seemed like a good soccer intellectual. So I hope we can talk to him again one day. I like him. Yeah, well, you know, that's it's the great thing about our our SB Nation fellow bloggers is that they're they're all really uh helpful and they're all very passionate about their teams. So, uh I'm sure we'll be talking to Matt again in the future. Who knows? Maybe we'll we'll meet up with them again in the postseason or in the, the US Open Cup. I don't even know if they're still in the US they're, Open oh, Cup. They're in, they're in it tonight. Uh, <laughs> so they may not be in the morning. <laughs> I think they're down to KC right now actually. I think Tom Dwyer's Oh, uh, that's guys, a that's so. a great rivalry too. Yeah. I mean, if you haven't seen a Rail Salt Lake Sporting KC game, I, I highly recommend them. There was one just uh, a week or two ago that I watched which was a, just a nuts nuts crazy game. Uh really fun to watch. Um so let's turn our attention to to Rail Salt Lake. Um, before we get to our predictions, I just wanted to like ask you what you think is the big sort of matchup between the two teams, like the big battle. Uh, the thing that I think, and this is my standard answer, but I think the midfield. I think that Orlando has to win the midfield to win the game. Um, that's where our strength is. That's where our best players are. You know, we, we've talked this whole podcast. We've talked about midfielders. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that we have to win the midfield if we don't exploit. The, the ability of Kaká, Rivas, you know, Neil if he plays. Um, he's, you know, uh, well, Saren won't be there, so it'll be interesting to see who steps in for him, for him as well. Um, Hagita has had great games recently, so I think if those players play well, we do good. Um, but uh, beyond that, um, 
and I think the back line, I think always the back line's gonna do well. So and I, yeah. Yeah, and in the front too, I think that um, Pedro's gonna <laughs> so really step up. So yeah, that's gonna be a big game for us, evidently. So I was gonna, I was actually gonna bring up Pedro. I'm glad you brought him up because I was gonna say he's had a couple of you know somewhat quiet games the last couple of games, and I think with Laren going to be out an extended time, he really needs to step up and become more threatening. I agree. Uh, on the front for uh, for Orlando City because otherwise Adrian Heath's going to have no choice but to move Rivas up there because there's really no other uh, option right now until Brian Rochez gets his uh, his visa situation straightened out. And by the way, that's something we haven't talked about is, is Brian Rochez has been gone a long yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, I was told by someone who should know that Carlos had a little issue because he lost his visa. Oh, well. He lost his passport. He lost his passport. Oh, okay. Happened. Uh, apparently at the New Zealand World Cup. Oh. So when you're a Colombian uh, in New Zealand and you need to get back to the United States, there's a whole lot of red tape. Yeah. And if you don't have your paperwork in order, there can be there can be some problems there. So hopefully he'll get that ironed out because this is really an important stretch of games for uh, where he could you know really cement his place in the squad. Uh, so it's it's important for him to get back, but I really think Ribeiro needs to step up and and um, you know he he's always very solid, but sometimes he's exceptionally uh, good, and he needs to go back to being exceptionally good for a few games at least and and solidify that striker position. Um, I think you're right. I think the midfield is going to be very important, and it's I think uh, not going to take for granted that Kyle Beckerman's going to be out because. Yeah. Uh, Real Salt Lake has some good players, and they know how to play their system very well. So, um, you know, not not having Beckerman is probably helpful, but maybe not as big a you know, bonus as we as we think right. because his backup is going to be playing well too. Um, I see Christian Gita obviously starting. I think we might see Avila play right wing and Neil play with Agita, but I do think that Amobi Okugo played very well in relief, particularly against Columbus. And so he may be starting to play himself back into favor with Adrian. Yeah. So he actually might get a start. You know, he could use it. I, like to, I, thought, I thought he played real well in the early season, so I'd like to see him come back into form. And it's very important to keep him uh, healthy because – the fact of the matter is, you know, we don't we're not sure when Aurelia Collin will be back. Right. And so you got Seb Hines and, and Sean St. Ledger. So the emergency center back right now is Amobia Kugo. Uh, people say, what about Connor Donovan? Connor Donovan uh, cracked his elbow in the Charleston game, so he's <laughs> going to be out like a he's going to be out like a month. Uh, Tommy Redding is not ready. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Akugo is a very valuable guy. You've got to keep him healthy, and and this is a very important stretch of games. Um, the cool thing is that the window, the transfer summer transfer window, opens on July eighth, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Sixth or eighth, one of those two. Yeah. So we could see some movement. Maybe we'll even see a very famous Mexican player come to Orlando. Nobody said no yet. That's what I keep thinking. As no one says no, everyone <laughs> just says, "Well, kind of," but we we're open to it. That's all I ever say. So I, I keep thinking that it's it's in the in the works. Right. So, I mean, uh, we're hearing that Gio Dos Santos is extremely close to maybe signing with L.A. Uh, if that happens, then there must obviously be some kind of mechanism in place uh, in terms of a DP addition of some sort. Right. A fourth uh, one, yeah. 
right? And if that core DP thing happens like we think it's going to happen, then that might be an opportunity for Orlando to slide a Rivas or a Rochez into the core DP and sign a, a player. And they're not shy about throwing some money around, and they've made no secret that they want Javier Chicharito Hernandez. Yeah, I think, and, and you know, I've, I've said this before, I, I think he really fits into our system very, very well. Um, Heath likes a striker, like the way he plays. He's not a striker that waits for the ball. He's not a striker that waits for you to set him up. He's a striker that involves himself in the offense, and I, I can really see him linking up well with, with Shea and Kaká, um, Rebus. I think that's a dangerous, dangerous front line there. Um, you know, all those guys up there with the ball and uh, tick and tacking, and uh, I think that would be really, really a great, great lineup for us. So, Yeah, the critics will tell you that he doesn't create his own chances, and my response to that is that's not going to be his role in this offense. Right. Um, Kaká and Rebus and whoever plays on the right and our, our uh, fullbacks, they're the ones that are going to distribute. He's just got to finish. And get in the position. And, uh, and he's really good. At, and, and as we've seen at Manchester United, he gets in the position to finish very, very well. Um, he's, right. put, he's pulled some very amazing goals out that I don't know how he got to him. So. Now, I will caution fans that hate offside. He goes offside a lot. He does. <laughs> uh, I mean, he pushes the boundary, and sometimes it's intentional. Take a couple early, maybe get the defense to fall asleep a little bit and you know not worry so much about you because you think you're going to be offside, and then boom, next thing you know, he's six yards behind you. Uh, and onside. So uh, if you don't like players that are offside a lot, you're not going to like Chicharito. Um, but uh, you might like him when he starts scoring goals and, and you know buckets of goals. So um, we'll see how this whole thing happens. I mean, it it wouldn't be the craziest thing if they signed him. No, it wouldn't. No, I think I, I think a player like Chicharito, you know, you, he's a player that could play anywhere in Europe, but I don't think he wants to play just anywhere. I don't think he wants to play for you know, Stoke City or um, Everton, not to pick on those, those clubs, they're great clubs. I actually love those, both those clubs. Uh, but mm-hmm. I don't think he wants to play at an average team that's not really going place. I think he wants to win trophies. And um, I think mm-hmm. you, you could see him do that in MLS, definitely. So Yeah, his, his first choice was to go back to Real Madrid. Yeah. And that wasn't, you know, they didn't renew the loan. They didn't have any interest in that. His apparent uh, time at, at Manchester United is done. They're They're... I guess Louis Van Hall is not a big fan of his, or they don't get along, or they just aren't right. Who knows what he the right fit anyway? <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of maybe maybe just maybe just not the right fit. But he's his agent has said they're not going to go anywhere else in in England. Right. So that right there that limits you. Um, he's not going to Barca and he's not going to Real Madrid. So that limits what you can do in terms of you know Spain in terms of winning trophies. Because if you're not on one of those two teams coming up this year, right. you're not going to win any trophies. Right. Um. So that just leaves Italy and Germany, you know. And I think you some, know, I could see him in Germany, to be honest. I think he could play very, very well in Germany. But it's a very open it. style. It's an open league. I think he'd do well there. But I think he'd rather be. I think I think the lure of being closer to home might be enough if if it's like between playing for Orlando or playing for like Dortmund. Well, and you think about him too. He's never actually been a consistent starter for an entire season. Um, he's always been kind of a second choice or a third choice. And I think as a player, I think eventually you want to be a first choice. I think you want to be a player who plays week in and week out. And he may have kind of finally decided that as well. So, yeah, I mean, at some point you 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 don't want to be second fiddle. Yeah. You want to be the big big fish, even if the pond is smaller. So, um, it, it and you know, Orlando is a great 
place for him to land. A lot of Hispanics here, a lot of Spanish-speaking people. Uh, it's not that far to fly home for international stuff, you know. So I think it would benefit him. And you know, clearly this is not a done deal and not even imminent at yeah, this point. Yeah, we are talking but, about like it is, but it is not yet. So. <laughs> but you know, it's it's just one of those things where. But it's also not just. You know, we're not just out there grasping at straws. There is actual strong interest from the club in him. And even though he he said in the past that he didn't want to come to MLS, um, you know, as those options that he where of where he wants to go sort of dry up and go away, you know, MLS becomes more attractive looking. Well, and I think Taka is an attractive person to to play with as well. I mean, I think when you're looking at you know who you want to play next to, uh, mm-hmm. certainly probably one of the nicest guys I've ever seen play the game. Um, and I think there's a lot of reasons to play. I mean, I'm, I'm a little biased, probably, but there are a lot of reasons to play for Orlando um, that I think are very good reasons. So, Yeah, and players want to play for clubs with ambition, and this is a club that has ambition. Yeah, definitely. So we'll see how it happens, but right now we're going we're gonna, to, before we get out of here, we're going to go to our soon-to-be-proven completely wrong prediction for the Orlando City RSL match on Saturday. Kevin, what do you got? I think it's going to be a fireworks show. I'm going to go 3-2 Orlando. Mm, high scoring. Okay. Okay. I like it. I like it. Um, I think that uh, it's it's a dry heat out there in uh, Salt Lake City. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a little bit different environment. I think Rio Tinto is a very difficult place to play. Um, I'm going to say it's a 2-2 draw with Orlando City having to come back and, and poach one at the end to, to get the point, to salvage the point. I think... Uh, for a couple of reasons, Real Salt Lake's been pretty strong at home defensively for the most part, and also they, but they've tended to give up some late goals. Yeah. So, uh, and Orlando City, let's face it, they've had some late game heroics. So, so I, it's it's just such a tough environment. It's a late start time for East Coasters. There's a lot of a lot of variables. Yeah, there uh, are. Yeah. I'm not, sure what the, I'm not sure what the altitude situation is in Salt Lake City, if I could speak. Uh, but I think you get a little bit of elevation, so you're going from sea level to, to you know, thinner air. Um, it's going to be a tough game. It's, it's, it's a, tough a tough place game. to play. So, um, so you say three two, good guys. I'll say two two draw, and we'll see what happens on Saturday. We'll both be completely <laughs> incorrect. I do need to issue a uh, correction already. Is uh, they're they're actually playing Portland tonight, and uh, Salt so, so, uh, Sporting Kansas City beat Dallas for nothing. So. I, oh, okay. I was sort of get for just trusting my Twitter feed only. So, <laughs> well, by the time this hits the uh, the internet, uh, it'll be it'll be old news anyway. Exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. It's a podcast. Uh, I do want to again thank our guest Matt Montgomery from RSL Soapbox. You can follow them on Twitter. RSL Soapbox is the Twitter handle with the little at symbol before it, obviously. Um, you know, you can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us some some uh, nice uh, reviews and, and, you know, give us a rating, a, a nice rating on uh, iTunes because that helps us in the search uh, feature because we're not the only – I know it seems like we're the only Orlando City podcast, but we're really not. Yeah, there's a couple of them actually. We're just, we're just, the, we're just the most fun. <laughs> We're our favorite. Uh, we are our favorite. Uh, we are our favorite podcast about. Orlando. We are. This is our favorite podcast that we do. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, for Kevin Mercer, I'm Michael Citro. We're going to see you next time. That'll wrap up episode 19, and uh, we'll be back next week uh, to talk about how that RSL game 
went, and uh, you know we'll we'll look ahead to the to the games to come. So uh, until then, uh, we're signing off with a big old Go City. Go City. <laughs>